um, I told a story in the sermon about um, how a guy brought a gym bag in and um, I was jesting a little bit uh, talking about how we had more guns appear in our service than I could even imagine that uh, I couldn't believe how many people in fullness were packing. Uh, after after the sermon, um, really, all I, I got like 20 questions, and it all was the same question, what was in the bag? Um, because I, I didn't think that was not the point of the illustration. Um, uh, the point of the illustration was we depend on God. We're in a spiritual battle. So this morning, I was just going to kid around about what was in the bag until what happened this week happened in Charleston. And uh, my heart is grieved. Um, We live in an age where the enemy is full on at work at every area. Um, My desire for fullness has always been for us to be a place where every person from every nation is welcomed. And not only welcomed, but a part of this body. Uh, my prayer has always been that, that fullness would be more racially diverse than we are even now, though I'm grateful for where we are, but look forward to the days ahead, because I believe that that is a picture of the body of Christ. Uh, every color, every, every economic background, wherever uh, we come from, that we would be counter to our culture, which divides and segregates and does everything it can to... Uh, I believe, teach hatred between people groups. Instead, we would be a people who love regardless. And so as I begin this morning, I'm going to ask you to join me. I know there are churches all over the place who are praying for um, the Emmanuel AME Church in Charleston. Uh, So I would like to offer our prayers to go with the body of Christ around the world that is praying uh, for both the church and those who lost loved ones. Most importantly, that um, revival would come to our nation. Uh, We have no hope apart from the love of Jesus Christ, none. Uh, So we can teach, we can try and proclaim, we can try and and inculcate people to a different way of thinking, but only the gospel has the power to set free. It is the good news, the power of the gospel, and we are not ever to be ashamed of it. Let's pray. Lord, this morning my heart comes before you and it's just broken as are many of our hearts as the result of sin in this world. And Lord, today we, we grieve with those who've lost their loved ones. Lord, we acknowledge that you are sovereign and that we recognize that you see what has happened and that you care about what has happened and we believe you love those who are hurting. Lord, uh, precious in your sight is the death of your saints, but at the same time, we at Fullness want to join with millions of other believers who are praying for Charleston, for the Emmanuel AME Church this weekend. Lord, I want to pray for unity within the body of Christ. Lord, I am sick of the division that comes as a result of theological issues and racial divides, and instead, Lord, I pray today that we would display love for one another. 
Lord, I pray for comfort and peace for those who are grieving this morning, those who have lost those close to them, fathers, mothers, sisters, brothers, husbands, dads. Lord, we acknowledge today that you know what it's like to lose a son. And so, Lord, I pray you comfort those. God of all comfort, comfort. Lord, I pray today that you would help us to be a people who unites where there is division. Help us to protect all life from the womb to the final day. Lord, we pray that you would help us celebrate life. Lord, when we're faced with evil, help us respond in good to show love in the face of hatred. May we be bridge builders. May we um, not be those who erect walls, but who we see tear them down by the grace of Jesus. Lord, may we stand for moral integrity in a culture that celebrates immorality. May we stand for truth in a world that promotes lies. Lord, may we be a people who promote love instead of hate. Lord, we thank you. We bless you. Spirit of God, I pray right now as we look at the word of God that you would open up our hearts and that our, we would expand in faith. Where we look around and it seems as if evil is winning, I pray, God, instead that we would today not lose heart, but instead stand in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Psalm 73. Happy Father's Day, dads. Hope you've had a great morning so far and uh, look forward to the, the rest of the day ahead. For those of you who are guests, welcome. We're so glad that you're part of Fullness. We're doing a summer series on the Psalms. Uh, it's called A Summer of Songs. Remember that the Psalms is really a hymn book. What we have in the Psalms is not so much a story as it is a collection of songs. And so we're looking at representative Psalms that show us what the book of Psalms is like. Uh, In addition, the first Sunday, which was, I can't remember how long ago, several weeks ago, I gave you a handout to go in your Bibles that you can hang on to that shows some background to the book of Psalms and how the Psalms are divided and what kind of psalms there are. And I hope you are saving that and you're reading it. And today I want to look at Psalm 73, which is a song of faith. Now last week I gave you, and you'll see it in the insert in your bulletin, you've got an outline at the very end of it. I'm giving you the psalm or psalms that I'm going to preach on the next week so that you can read on them and meditate upon them and just let them sink deep into you. And last week I gave you two psalms, Psalm 16 and Psalm 73. Psalm 16 is, uh, and these are two, let me just say, these are two of my favorite psalms. Um, I I get to pick the psalms, I'm picking my favorites. So Psalm 16, uh, this is a psalm I use a lot at funerals. Uh, I'll preach this uh, at um, funerals, sorry, my, there, just see, I'm changing it, and then it's going back, let's see if it hangs, there we go, uh, Psalm 16, verses 5 and 6 says, Lord, you have assigned me my portion in my cup, you have made my lot secure, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places, surely I have a delightful inheritance. 
This is a verse that reminds me of my heritage, and I encourage people to think about the inheritance that they have, both from a physical standpoint and from a spiritual standpoint. And then verse 11, which says, You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. This psalm is one I use a lot in counseling because I have found it uh, just totally worthless to to tell people to quit sinning. Um, You know, my early counseling technique was like this. Oh, you've got a problem? Stop it. Just quit it. Stop doing it. Quit it. There's a Bob Newhart sketch that does this really well. Uh, He always has two words for a person. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. And I found that was totally worthless that people really couldn't stop themselves uh, from sinning. But I believe what this psalm paints is this, that that there is a higher pleasure than the pleasure of sin. Sin does bring pleasure. Whoever said to you that sin doesn't bring pleasure uh, lied to you. Because in the moment, it does bring pleasure. There is a feeling. There's a release of endorphins. There's a but it's never enough. It never satisfies. It's like a beast that we're going to see today. It's a beast that constantly has to be fed. The beast grows. It never gets smaller. It's never satisfied till eventually it takes over your life. That really the only way to quit sinning is to look at a higher pleasure, a higher joy, and that is the joy and pleasure of being in God's presence forevermore. We have to aim higher not aim at stopping or quitting. And that really comes back to this whole theme on faith that we're going to look at in Psalm 73 today. We recognize that in the world and in the family, in marriage, in culture, that we, the enemy is on a full-scale assault against whatever God. Just think of this. God is for blank. Just fill in the blank. God is for whatever. Well, you can just assume that the enemy, therefore, is against blank. Whatever God is for, the enemy is against. And therefore, everything we see in this world is a celebration of what the enemy is driving for. I'm not going to go into details, but just you can fill in with the the blank of your mind to, to, to see where The enemy is on a full scale of salt. And this Psalm 73 is a psalm of a guy in spiritual crisis. He has been trying to live for God. He's been trying to live a right life. He's tried to live pure in heart. But when he looks around him and everything is going haywire and it seems like evil is winning, he comes to a spiritual crisis to say, what good is all of this? This is a psalm about people in spiritual crisis who need an infusion of faith. My belief is this. We got a lot of people here today, even in a great church like Fullness, who are in the middle of a spiritual crisis. Things in life have not gone like you thought they were going to go. As you drew up the design of your life, about what was going to happen, it didn't go that way. And at some point, you've stepped back and said, is this really worth it? Does God really care? Does God really love me? And so you're here today, and you're in a place of spiritual crisis. And I want to say this message is for you. 
This message is for you. How to move beyond the crisis to the triumph of faith. For those of you who aren't in a spiritual crisis, I would encourage you to hang on to these notes so that when you are in a spiritual crisis, you can come back to this. Because if you're not, at some point in your life, you will be. And so I just want to say, isn't that good news? Uh, You're either in two camps. You're either in a spiritual crisis or you're headed toward one at some point. It's the truth of life. We all, all have these moments, all of us. This is a psalm by a guy named Asaph. Asaph was one of the chief musicians in David's court along with two others. And it says right at the beginning of Psalm 73, a psalm of Asaph, this, remember we talked about psalms were divided into five books. This is the beginning of book three within the psalms. It'll even say in your Bible, book three. And then it'll say a psalm of Asaph, and like the next 10 or 11 psalms, 12 maybe, he wrote. He's given um, the credit for writing these psalms. He's a talented musician. We don't know much more about him other than he's also called a prophet or a seer, and he's from the tribe of Levite. So he's a priest, he's a prophet, he's a musician. Great combination. And he writes this psalm where he says, my faith is waning. What do I do? I'm going to read you the psalm. I know we've read together these whole psalms. This one's pretty long, so I'm going to read it to you this morning. I want to read the whole flow of it. It's a little longer, but just... uh, Just follow through and let God speak to you, and then we'll take it apart. We'll talk about what it means to us. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree, they increase in wealth. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this. It was oppressive to me till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. As a dream when one awakens, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? 
and earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you, but as for me, it's good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. This psalm has had a profound impact on my life. And I want to share with you the impact it's had on me and hopefully will have on you in the days ahead as well. The psalmist talks about, first of all, the trial of faith. Here's the bottom line. Faith is weakened through comparison. Faith is weakened through comparison and the confession of doubt. So we have these two truths going on right here in the psalms. The psalmist, as you see, he's comparing himself with what's happening in the world, and he's saying it in his heart, trying not to speak it out or preach it. But faith is weakened. It's tried through comparison. Look what he says. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Asaph, first of all, he recognizes that God is good in the abstract. God is good to the whole group. God is good to Israel, but he looks at himself in comparison to the wicked, and he says, I'm not so sure God is good to me. God is good to those who are pure in heart, and he's going to talk about purity in heart at least five times in this psalm. And he even says, I've been pure in heart, but it doesn't seem like things have been going my way. So he's making a confession of what he believes, but then he looks around at the reality and says, my reality is not matching my confession. What is true? The focal point, though, of this particular psalm, and it could be anything, but the focal point of this particular psalm is the wicked. But comparison in general is a bad deal. Stop it. Kind of thing. Just quick comparing yourself to others. Stop it. It's just unhealthy. It's not going to work. You compare your marriage to someone else. You compare your financial situation. You compare your house. You compare your car. You compare your children. I mean, we are a people of comparison. And not only that, we're inundated with comparison. Hey, don't you want to be like Mike? Don't you want to be like this person or that person? Or We compare ourselves, and comparison is deadly. It's deadly to our faith. And look, we've got to come back to a point. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. If faith is important to God, what is the enemy going to be against? Faith. He's going to come at you. He's going to try and damage your faith. And one of the tools that he's used from the time of the Psalms, which was, this was hundreds of years before Christ was even born, has been the position of comparison. Look at the list of the things that are troubling to this psalmist. I'm going to go through them. Just, I listed them in your bulletin so you can have them and the reference, but let me just kind of articulate them real quick because you're going to see things have not changed all that much. Here are the things that are troubling to him. First, the evil, the wicked, the people of the world, those who don't love God, they don't suffer in trouble like other people. 
They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from the burdens common to man. They're not plagued by human ills. Now, first of all, I like to say that Asaph is, I don't think he's in touch with reality. Because it's not exactly true what he's stating. But from his perspective, he sees somebody who's really bad and they seem to be healthy. They seem to be prospering. They seem to be doing good. They don't suffer. There is suffering, but he just doesn't see it at the same level as what he's... He said they display pride and violence. Not only are they not suffering, but they're prideful about it. They're violent people. Therefore, pride is their necklace. He's saying they clothe themselves with violence. I mean, it is very visible to see this pride and violence in their hearts. Their hearts are hard and their minds are filled with unlimited evil. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They're arrogant. Psalm 73, they scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Here's what I think really bothers him. Not only are they arrogant, and I didn't put this in, but people actually turn to them for advice. People turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. People, does this not sound like the day in which we live? I mean, we make people famous not because of anything they've ever done. I mean, really. I could go from Paris Hilton to Kim Kardashian. to I could go to a whole list of people who've done nothing but become famous for being famous. And then people turn to them. We turn to celebrities and say, hey, what's your political view? Who cares? He's an actor. I mean, he reads someone else's lines. That's all he does. He's good at delivering someone else's lines. Why do I care about his opinion? But we drink it up. There's industries devoted to this whole deal. Not only that, but really ticks him off that they mock God. They're, they're not only standing in, in this position, but they are actively mocking God. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? Again, I, I hate to pick on Hollywood in a big deal, but we are living in, a, in an age in which the industry mocks God at every turn. And yet they're making more money. They're doing great. And this is what really, really bottom line bugs him. Here it is right here. They're prospering and I'm suffering. They're doing all this junk, all that they're directly opposing the living God. They're, they're living lifestyles that are in opposition to him, yet people are thronging to him. Why are they prospering? And I'm trying to do the right thing and I'm suffering. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been plagued. I've been punished every morning. Why am I trying to do what's right and seem beat up over it when they're evil and flaunting their evil and, being, and doing so well? Have you never got to this point where you say, is this really worth it? This living the Christian life, this trying to do what's right. The psalmist, he has enough strength left to kind of pull himself from the edge of the embankment where he's about to cast himself off. And he says, if I had spoken thus, if I had said thus, I would have betrayed your children. In other words, he's saying it. I mean, it's kind of ironic, isn't it? 
He's writing a psalm that's going to last for thousands of years. And yet he says, if I'd said this, I would have uh, betrayed your people. What he's saying is, if I'd have preached that this is true, then there'd been betrayal. But instead, I want to I want to change my perspective. Here's what's happened. His perspective has become skewed. His perspective has become skewed. And for many of us, our perspectives just get out of whack. Sometimes it's because our perspectives are immature. Here's some, um, listen to these actual statements made by children regarding their perspective about scientific matters. This is from a recent edition of New Scientist magazine. These are kids. You with me? Hello? Come on back. Uh, These are statements from children about scientific matters. There are three kinds of blood vessels. Arteries, veins, I like that, and caterpillars. (laughs) Oxygen is composed of two gens, oxygen and hydrogen. Oxygen is pure gen, hydrogen is gen and water. (laughs) I don't want to say whose home that was. That was none of our children, really. Uh, Blood flows down one leg and up the other. I I don't know how that works, uh, but... uh, Rhubarb is a kind of celery gone bloodshot. I think that's fairly accurate, don't you? Um, Before giving a blood transfusion, find out if the blood is affirmative or negative. (laughs) To keep milk from turning sour, keep it in the cow. <laughs> That's one way I'm sure that. <laughs> Last one. Uh, to collect fumes of sulfur, hold a deacon over a flame in a test tube. I, I don't know what's wrong with that one. I actually think that's pretty accurate. I've learned over the years that it's easy, even for adults, to lose perspective. And when we lose our perspective of reality, we can say and do some pretty crazy, stupid, idiotic things. And here's the bottom line. I say this over and over again to have in our church. You act upon what you believe to be true. Whether it's true or not is irrelevant. What's true is that if you believe it to be true, then you do it. You act upon it. And so if we get a certain perspective of life or perspective of God or perspective of truth, then we act upon that truth whether it's actually true or not. We need to line our views, our perspective up with what? God's word and God's spirit. Otherwise, your perspective will be aligned with your emotions and your experience. And when your view is lined with your emotions and experience, I can tell you right now, you can claim all you want to be on the right road, but you're not on the right road. The choice is yours. God's spirit, God's word, your experience, your emotions. We need to line our perspective up with him. And listen, when we struggle with our faith, we fall in line with a long history of people who have struggled with their faith. Some of the greatest names throughout history, if I, I, I mean, I could probably just name any person who you would hold up as a person of incredible faith, 
And I can tell you somewhere in their writings, if they wrote anything or anybody knew anything about them, they went through periods of incredible trials that, in which their faith suffered. Let me just give you a couple. C.S. Lewis, renowned defender of the faith, is also known uh, for a more complicated side. He famously wrote this, I have found that nothing is more dangerous to one's own faith than the work of an apologist. He was an apologist. He's saying, my faith, really, the intellectual pursuit of the truth of God has really been challenging to my faith. And if you lined up his life, a complicated life, and the deaths that were around him, he came to crises of faith at several points in his, his life and was very honest about um, where, he, where he struggled. Letters released after her death revealed that Mother Teresa struggled with maintaining her faith in the midst of loneliness, incredible loneliness. Over a long period of time, she questioned God, the goodness of God, even the existence of God, in the middle of living a life of self-sacrifice before others. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher of the 1800s, explained that even strongest believers face seasons of depression, being stripped of the joy brought by faith. He referenced Martin Luther, the great reformer that we talked about weeks ago, who, was, uh, who really was the big proponent of faith. His whole message in the Reformation came from Romans 1, the just shall live by faith. And yet, Spurgeon, who was struggling with his own doubts and own struggles and his own faith, references Martin Luther when he says this, The strong are not always vigorous, the wise not always ready, the brave not always courageous, and the joyous not always happy. The life of Luther might suffice to give a thousand instances, and he was by no means of the weaker sort. His very deathbed was not free from tempests, and he sobbed himself into his last sleep with a great, like a great wearied child. I mean, faith is, is being tried. And if you stand at a point this morning where your faith is being tried, you are not alone. You're not alone. How does faith win out? The triumph of faith. How does faith win out? Right here in the Psalms, he turns the corner and comes to a place where he says, faith can win. Faith can win. And the bottom line is, he says, we need to reframe our perspective. Get our eyes off the circumstances around us and put our eyes on God. When I tried to understand this, it was oppressive to me. Till what? Till I entered the sanctuary of God, and then I understood their final destiny. He basically says, I entered that I might understand. I entered that I might understand. When we look at those around us and judge God according to our experiences, then we've got a we got a bad perspective. Instead, we need to look to God and, and judge everything by his perspective. Here's what Asaph says. Once he got into worship, once he got into the presence of God, that's what sanctuary is. I entered the sanctuary. It's not just about going to a place. It's about entering into the presence of God and worshiping him. Then I, I understood what truth was. And he says, here's the truth. The wicked will be brought to ruin. 
For surely you place them on slippery ground, you cast them to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors as a dream when one awakes. So when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. He's saying, look, everything around is but a mirage, so to speak. This is not reality. When I entered, what I saw was the real. And the real is this, they'll be brought to ruin. Now, here, here's not, this is not, I think, the gospel. The gospel is not, oh God, you're great, I can't wait for them to be ruined. I can't wait for them to be destroyed. But what he's saying is, the gospel is the opportunity for people to come to know Jesus and to be saved because if they depend on this, it's like idolatry and they'll be brought to ruin. The word here, ruined, is a, a, a word of utter devastation. And it reminded me of when we went um, a couple of years ago, in 2011, actually four years ago, when the April tornadoes came through. Um, that next, within a couple of weeks, probably first of May, we went out to the Young Bloods, uh, who now go to our church, to what was their house to help. And I, I, I have never seen anything, anything, anything like this. And I've been in a lot of settings where natural disasters had occurred. But, you know, here in Birmingham, you drive through the trees, you drive through the mountains, you got all these homes, you got all this stuff. And then you come up on this area out of nowhere that's just utter devastation. There was a, where the young bloods lived was right on the edge of the, the path of the tornado. And their home, which was a total brick home, the only thing that was standing, if I remember right, were the steps going up and like one small part of one wall of a two-story brick home that was now just totally, totally annihilated as if it had never been there. And you could stand and look on the edge and look across for whatever the, the, the path of the, her, the tornado was. It seemed like a mile across. I don't know. It was a long way. And it was just everything between you and the other side was totally gone. And you could look to your left for as far as you could see. You could look for your right as far as you could see. And there was just nothing. What had been there has totally, totally gone. The judgment of God is going to be like that. What had stood and looked like it was something when brought into the presence of God and judged by him will be totally ruined, annihilated, eliminated. Now, this is not to give us hope, like our hope is that they'll be ruined. Instead, it's our hope, as you'll see at the end, that we tell them the good news. This, it should change our perspective, not that we envy them, because envy, let me just tell you, envy is a disease that will kill you. Not to envy, but rather to pray for mercy. To pray that God will just give us a heart. To, sh to, to not celebrate, but to share. He goes on to say that repentance comes to those who are right with him. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. It's a picture of a life controlled by sin. He, he wakes up to recognize when I was like this, basically I was in sin. I basically, I was in sin. When I was like this, I was in sin. 
and, and this envy just kept was just demanding more. And to me, it's a picture of sin. It's a picture of sin. Sin is like this. N- name your sin. I mean, you don't do it out loud. You don't have to uh, name it right now. But sin is like this. It is never satisfied. You know, one of the things I've tried to try to try to help my sons especially with is the, and since it's Father's Day, I'm just going to go here, is the, uh, it's just the incredible ease of pornography in the world around us. I mean, when I was a boy, if you wanted to see uh, a naked woman, you had to go, you know, go buy a magazine, you had to go somewhere to do something. Listen, you, you got a phone, you got, a, you got access to an internet, you got, I mean, it is just everywhere around us. And, and to me, pornography is this beast that will never be satisfied. Never. Because it's never enough. It's never enough because the brain, the way we're wired, it wants something more. It wants something more. It wants something more. It may start out with one level, but it's going to move to the next. It's going to move to the next because it's a beast that demands more. And at every level, the beast just says, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me. Until the point where the beast now totally controls our lives and we end up in a place where we have Things are devastated. Life is not as it should be. You can't handle it. You can't handle it. And sin is like this. I can name any other sin. I mean, I really, sin is like this. If you keep feeding it, it's going to keep growing. Here's the question. What are you feeding into your life? The psalmist is basically saying, I repented. I started feeding myself with worship. I started feeding myself with the presence of God. Because if I don't, Whatever I'm giving time to, whatever I'm feeding is going to grow in my life. The reward of righteousness is the presence of God. What, being in God's presence is its own reward, which leads to a greater reward, which is more of the presence of God. Now, for some here today, you're thinking, you know, I'm not really sure that that's the reward I want. I really would like to have a big house. I really would like to have more money. I would like to have more prominence. I want a future. I want a wife. I want a husband. I want children. Um, I don't want a wife. I don't want children. I mean, you know, wherever we are, what we want seems to be something we don't have. What we need is the presence of God. This, the presence of God, until we understand the joy of being in God's presence, we will never be satisfied. We need to guard our hearts, and our minds. Whom have I in heaven but you? Well, here's the truth. You got no one. You got no one in heaven but God. And heaven is where the reality is. This is all the shadow. This is all temporary. This is all going to fade away. That which is real is that which is permanent. Hello? I say this over and over again, and I know you think I'm like an elementary mysticism 101. Like, wait, wait a minute, this isn't real. And no, I'm saying this is, this is everything's going to pass. Look around. Just look at the person to your left and your right, these beautiful green chairs and uh, just the building that we're in and just everything around, it's gone. There is a day and age when it's gone. That makes it temporary. That means it's not the real. What's real is what's permanent. And we need to focus on the truth that we have no one in heaven but God. 
and Jesus Christ, our Lord, who sits at the right hand of God the Father, making intercession for us right now. I desire my flesh and my heart may fail. Yeah, it will. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion, my inheritance forever. Back to Psalm 16. Lord, you've assigned me my portion and my cup, my inheritance. You've made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. This is the confession of the person of faith. And the ultimate end of the person of faith is... You've made known to me the path of life. And by the way, if there's a path of life, there's a path of... And there's only two paths. You've got a choice here. Path of life, path of death. There's a path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. You may look you may look at me and say, I'm sure Pastor Bard never goes through these periods. I gotta tell you, I've been going through a period where just discouragement is like right at my back door all the time. Seems to be knocking more persistently. And and I'm finding more and more that the only hope I have is to get in the presence of God. I still hear the knocking, but I'm not as tempted to go open the door and let the beast in. When I'm in God's presence, when I'm worshiping, when I'm listening to songs of praise, when I'm reading God's word, when I'm among God's people, what is the hope? What is it that's going to build up our faith? Getting in the presence of God. Getting our perspective right. When I compare where I am, where our church is, where my family is, where my marriage is, where my heart is, where my mind is, with other people around me, when I go down that road of comparison and envy, I'm sunk. I have to keep my eyes fixed on him. And not only that, but I have to get to a place where I say to others, God is good to preach, proclaim the gospel, because there is power in what I confess. Listen, I'm not a power of positive thinking, kind of like, uh, say, confessions that are stupid, like I'm, I'm healthy when I'm sick kind of thing. You know, if you're sick, say you're sick, but are you with me? I mean, we've all been a part of that prosperity doctrine at times that says, hey, don't confess the, what's going on, but instead just speak something I'm talking about just saying the truth that we know, which is God is good. God is great. God will deliver us. God is worthy of our worship and our praise no matter what. And tell others about it. Here's my question. What are you saying to others? Oh, my life sucks. Oh, everything's terrible. Oh, woe is me. I I got a billion illnesses. Uh, I got to go, you know, every day I'm seeing a doctor or I, I, you know, my life is terrible. I mean, what is it we're saying to people? What is it? This is not like a power of confession to deny, but it is to say what's real in our lives. Start speaking of the goodness and greatness and praise of God. Three last scripture verses and I'm done. Seek first God's kingdom 
and his righteousness. The other things will take care of themselves. Priority of worship and praise. Absolutely necessary to stay focused on God. Know that it's in worship that we don't lose heart. Paul says, we do not lose heart. We're outwardly wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. By the way, go read that passage in Corinthians. Just write that one down. You'll see what Paul refers to as light and momentary affliction. People throwing stones at him, dragging him outside of the city for dead. Anybody had a light and momentary affliction of that nature lately? No, we've, we've, you know, our light momentary affliction, my, my dang car broke down. God hates me. Because your car broke down? Come on, get real. Your car broke down. Things happen. Wait till people throw rocks at you and drag you outside the city to die. And then you can call it, well, that's my light momentary affliction. <laughs> Everything else, the world is always going to fall short. First John 2, don't love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, cravings of sinful man, the lust of the eyes, the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Church. Rejoice. God is with us. God is in us. God is among us. Celebrate his truth in the sanctuary of his saints. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and see that the King of glory, he will come in. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning. We thank you this morning. Oh, God of all comfort, God of all grace, God of all strength. You are our God. Here's what I want to do for ministry time. If you're here today and you're struggling with faith, and you, listen, it's, it's not a, I'm standing not just because I'm preaching, I'm standing because I, I acknowledge that there's been a weakening at times in my life. If you're with me and you want me to pray for you, stand up. You want to pray that your faith would be strengthened today. Just stand up. Hold out your hands before the Lord if you feel comfortable doing that. You don't have to. Lord, we stand with an acknowledgement that there's in some way been a weakening in our faith, either because we've compared ourselves to others or life has just kind of crept in and really challenged us. Lord, today we want to say, may we be in your presence. May we see your goodness. May we see your greatness. May we worship you in spite of our circumstances, in spite of our situations. Lord, may we worship you. Lord, where where our tongues have confessed our weakness, I pray this morning that we will begin to confess of your goodness and your glory and your greatness, that our eyes will be lifted off our circumstances and our situations, and we will see the King of glory. Whom 
have I in heaven but you? Lord, we just receive strength in our faith this morning. Everyone stand with me. Adrian, let's just sing together. Let's just take a moment to worship the goodness and greatness of God. I'm 